Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. And welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I am Joe. Hi, Joe. And with me is Liam. I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's fine. Hi, Joe. It's I'm fine. Liam. It's going to start oh. all the way the fuck, but no, I'm kidding. Oh, no, uh, go. Do it. No, do it, bitch. This is why we can't <laughs> fucking nice welcome things. Welcome to Lions Led by Donkeys. I'm your new host, Liam Anderson. We have seized control of the radio stations. <laughs> oh, no. The coup started. <laughs> oh, no. It's finally happened. I've been cooed. Speaking of coup. We have no, so this is like, I'm I'm always curious when people pick up on these things, like when we have small talk to start episodes with, because like, you know, normally we, we, even though some people complain about our, our banter, you know, if you don't like banter in a podcast, read a fucking book. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) honestly, we're, it's, we're, we're not 99% invisible. We get that on, uh, I guess our sister show. Uh, well, there's a problem quite a bit where people are just like, you know, I, I, we don't need all these jokes. And it's like, go fucking read the wiki then. Like, I don't yeah, care. I mean, like, honestly, some of the things we talk about without the humor and the banter, it's just like soul crushing. Um, yeah. Well, and I'm in grad school. This is the only joy I get out of studying history anymore. So leave me alone. Um, but I'm also curious if people ever figure out like when we've been recording back to back because we have no banter to start an episode with. And today uh, is one of those days. I've been cooing. I'm, I'm cooing. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but I am cooking. So, when we left you last time, the main exploded, and the U.S. and Spain had to declare war on one another. And the U.S. is about to invade the various ter- territories of Spain. Though, again, we will be focusing on Cuba. And if you want to hear about the Philippines, go listen to that. It's a whole other series. I cannot stress that enough. Someone will still be like, what about the Philippines? <laughs> what about the Philippines? <laughs> you didn't mention Guam. Um, actually, uh, it's, it's unfortunate because the Guam part is one of my favorite stories this entire war. Uh, the Spanish garrison had no idea that they were at war. That's a, that's that's ungentlemanly. So, like the U.S. Navy, like floated up, fired up, and massacres them. I no, they fired um, like um, a battery, and the Spanish, like the Spanish commander, got in a boat, paddled out to where the Navy was, and asked for ammo so they could fire a salute in response. Because they like they thought they were just like coming by and saying hi, <laughs> and they're like, actually no, we're we're here to take over your island. They're like, oh, I guess we surrender then, because <laughs> they had that, they had no ammo, no, like they hadn't a single. Right. It was something like a single boat hadn't come from Spain in like three years. All right, well, I guess we're Americans now. It's probably no yeah. worse than this. <laughs> Sorry, Guam. Uh, I, I I don't support what we do to do to Guam. I feel like I need to say that. Yeah, yeah, it's. Are bad, but not, not literally Joe and I is bad. But no, I, bad. I did it. I am. I am eternal. I am the Highlander. I only show up to do bad wars. Um, yeah, I mean, which means know, I have to go back to sleep for like six months until we do the next one. Oh, Venezuela! Here we come, baby. <laughs> Why does Joe have a dual lingo for Spanish? <laughs> um, now, there's just a small problem for the U.S. It, like I pointed out in the last episode, it did not have an army made for like empire. It wasn't a thing yet. Right. Uh, now, for people who listen to our Pancho Villa episodes, this will remind you a lot of that. The U.S. military as a whole was still based on state volunteer units made up of federalized National Guard levied by the states and put under federal command if the need arised. Um, the U.S. military wasn't even called that back then. It was just called the regular army uh, and numbered barely over 25,000 at this point. Um, the Navy really never had this problem. Uh, like Everybody like, likes boats. Well, like kind of like I pointed out before, um, like the reason why the f- founding fathers and most of our early governments really hated the idea of a massive standing army was like that's how you oppress people, right? So, so, but they didn't have the same ideas for the navy. Like the navy is for securing trade, 
Um, it was, I was for- going to say, you've always needed to trade overseas, and the United States at that point would have had, I guess, early Canada and whatever was happening to Mexico at that point. I think 1776 ish. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and 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 like we also send like you know trade trade over to Europe, which is how we end up fighting the Barbary pirates. Um, I mean, like sailors getting Shanghai into British crews is what um, led to the uh, War of eighteen twelve, kind of. Um, So like we and the their idea was like, well, it's hard, kind of hard to oppress people with the navy. Like you can't like just pull up a navy into a house. And like quarter than there, you know. What I, I mean? see you and I have never played uh, Civ together. <laughs> um, but the, because of we've never had the same quals about the navy, our navy was pretty strong. Um, it, it was significantly more powerful than the Spanish navy, um, which is funny when you think of like because we're talking about the Spanish Empire. Um, the Span, for instance, uh, the United States had seven battleships, while the Spaniards had one, and it was very old. Um, Suck it, nerds! Not to mention they only had like a detachment of that in Cuba. And they also had to deal with another, uh, like uh, another um, conflict in the Philippines. So everything they have is split. Um, right. Everything that's in Cuba is it is probably the worst Spain has to offer. Oh <laughs> um, uh, yes, the B team. Yes, um, but currently stationed in Cuba was a Spanish force larger than the entire U.S. military. Oh shit! Yeah, uh, though there were no shortage of people willing to sign up. For the U.S. military, far greater than the U.S. Uh, sorry, the regular army could absorb, which led to the Volunteer Army of the United States. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people rushed the recruiter's office or their local whoever to volunteer their service uh, for war against Spain. Now, most of these recruiters' offices are just like a guy with a role, like you just sure. signed up. Um, now, these were formed into three volunteer cavalry units, three volunteer engineer units, 10 volunteer infantry regiments, and a volunteer signal corps, um, which is like kind of still kind of learning how to do things like balloons were involved. These like heliographs and nice. stuff. Nice. Um, That's the good shit, Joe. The, the 7th to 10th volunteer infantries were composed of solely African-American soldiers led by white officers. Um, there's also a, a volunteer cavalry, like the Buffalo soldiers, the black cavalry. Gotcha. Um, though, despite all of this, the vast majority of these soldiers would never leave the United States to fight a war they'd volunteered for. Because uh, funny thing, despite the fact Cuba is very, very close to the United States, the U.S. lacked the ability to transport, equip, train, and overall manage such a large number of people to send across the ocean, even if it is not that long of a distance. Many of these sailboats, you fucking idiots. That's the thing is like the Navy couldn't handle transporting that many people. They're like, yeah, we don't know how to do that. We've never had to do that. We just have a couple of Marines on board. Yeah. I mean, that's why like the, um, it's like 90 miles from Key West, man. (laughs) You (laughs) can do that in a fucking day. This is why the Barbary Wars were all fought by Marines and like random, uh, privateers and shit. Um, because like the army, they're like, yeah, we don't know how to do boats. Um, now, many of these units, uh, as well as like guard units, regular army units, uh, were slowly transported down to Florida or for most of the volunteer units sent into the Southwest because they had to train. Now, none of these guys know how to fight uh, where they are housed in large army camps. Now, the idea is that these camps would be used to do medical screening because remember, they still hadn't done that. Um, right. Just like we talked about. So like, oh, you're missing a foot. All right, I got to send you home. Weight savings, baby. Uh, now, as well as training, because uh, well, like the volunteers, some of them were like Civil War veterans and stuff, but like none of them, none of them were a unit yet. <laughs> like, none of right. them had a fight together. Um, now, as anybody who's listened to this show for any length of time will know, camping together outside in a large group uh, in the 1800s with no understanding of medical science or hygiene is never a good idea. Congratulations, you have leprosy. <laughs> Congratulations, uh, you are now a pandemic. Uh, combine this with most medical professionals in uniform being packed into ships and being part of the first wave down to Cuba meant that there was really nobody left to staff these camps. Um, also, the entire ration system was f- incredibly fucked. Um, so before long, you had camps of thousands of soldiers full of typhus, uh, smallpox, malaria, and starvation. While Taste still the rainbow, <laughs> baby. While in the American Southwest. 
<laughs> they haven't even made it to war. Like, good news. The U.S. is so we're so efficient here in the volunteer corps of the United States. It will kill you before you even get to war. That's called efficiency, boards. Yep. Yep. It's synergy. Um, many of the training camps in the Southwest were obliterated by typhoid fever caused by. Now, for people unaware, this is caused by salmonella. Uh, now. For a short lesson on this wonderful disease, I went to our friends at WebMD who normally only exist to tell you that you're dying from your cold. Um, Now, typhoid fever is contracted by eating or drinking the bacteria found in contaminated food and water. People with acute illness can contaminate the surrounding water supply through stool. Poop. It's poop in case people don't know that. Um, Which contains a high concentration of the bacteria. Contamination of the water supply can in turn taint the food supply. The bacteria can survive for weeks in water or dried sewage. (laughs) So, yes, a bunch of idiot soldiers spreading literal shit all over everything and then shitting more shit into the water supply until everybody got sick and died. Mm. Oh, that's that's tasty. That's great. Of the 171,000 personnel in these training camps, you want to guess how many people got sick? 150,000. Give me something (laughs) real stupid high. 20,700. That's still real bad. And over 1,500 died before the war even started. Which I need to point out, those are significantly more casualties than the United States is going to suffer in this war. (laughs) Now... This, of course, brings us to the most famous volunteer unit, the one that nobody has uh, nobody's heard enough about, right? The Rough Riders. Uh, Led by Lieutenant Colonel Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, they're actually the first ass. United States volunteer cavalry, and they were by no means actual Rough Riders, though that was their intent. Also, Teddy was in command. He was second in command to uh, Leonard Wood, who now has a military base named after him. Uh, also, uh, Leonard Wood, on top of being a cavalry colonel, was also a doctor. Oh, well, I mean, I yeah. guess that's helpful. He gets shot in the uh, downrange. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but back then, medicine for that was sawing off your own leg or whatever. You got to get the ghosts out of your blood. I'm trying to be optimistic. <laughs> ghosts out of your blood with cocaine. <laughs> that's right. I, I don't understand. I got shot, and I'm just chugging ethanol, and I'm not. I'm not being healed. I can see the sounds. <laughs> Unlike Roosevelt, Wood had a long military career and had actually already been awarded the Medal of Honor years before. Um, Roosevelt was instead a career politician who had lobbied for the war while working for the government as the assistant to the Secretary of the Navy. Right. Once the war began, he resigned his position to go see combat and was given the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, this is despite the fact his only previous service had been a four-year chunk of peacetime while serving part-time in the New York National Guard, where he was never promoted above the rank of second lieutenant. Oh, tough. Yeah. Much like his time as a colonel, Tenney uses connections to get that rank and never attended any kind of military academy. Meritocracy, folks. We have it. Originally, the plan for the Rough Riders is to recruit frontiersmen or coal miners and other hard folk. Uh, preferably people who could already ride a horse. Um, the plan was also to recruit mostly from the Southwest, thinking that dudes from that climate would fare better in Cuba. Okay, that ended up not, not being the case. What? <laughs> yeah, you know, Arizona, Havana, same climate, right? What? You know what? Sure. You know, why not? <laughs> Good luck. Uh, this this country is already dumb as fuck. Instead, like most situations like this, his call for recruitment brought in people who were not necessarily hard, but they were adventure seekers. Uh, people who, you know, a lot of like war was different back then. It was a lot. It was a lot like people, like honestly, up until World War One, like unless to go see the world, see adventure. They thought that shooting a guy was the pinnacle of manhood. Like that hadn't been broken yet. And I mean, right. I, I would argue that still hasn't been broken, depending on who you talk to. But like, you would have just random people, like, hell yeah, let's go. Like, have you ever like rode a horse? Nope. All right. Now, the reason for this, honestly, and the, the fame behind the Rough Riders, even during the recruitment phase, was pretty much Teddy himself. People knew the Roosevelt family. Teddy was already kind of a minor celebrity. Obviously, people knew that he was in the government. Uh, and he was a guy who loved to huff his own farts. All of this PR around Teddy Roosevelt is because of Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yeah, dude. All of that is manufactured. Uh, like his time as like a frontiersman, he had like hired guides and shit that made sure he didn't die. But they never would. Nobody would ever write about those guys. Um, I mean, that's smart as fuck to his credit. 
No, I mean, it literally made him president. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> like, this 100% worked in Teddy's favor. Um, now, th- what he did collect was a weird group of Ivy League athletes, glee club singers, a couple Texas Rangers, and a few Native Americans, as well as a bunch of old retired soldiers and cops. All right. <laughs> You'd watch a buddy comedy about that, at least. No, that's 100% like a a comedy that should be made. But instead, it's just like the cop being racist and Native American constantly. Now, some some of the the guys were even less than that. Like there was a bar, I believe, in Houston, Texas. Maybe it was San Antonio. Some city in Texas that like a group of drunk guys just wandered up and like, we'd like to enlist. And the guy who handled the roles was there and was like, yeah, all right. (laughs) You'll, so, do, like, you'll, you'll do nicely as a magnet. Yep, that's right. Do you, can you ride a horse? Nope. Uh, honestly, the horse thing ends up not being that important, but we'll get there. Um, the Rough Riders were to fall under a division commanded by a former Confederate General, Joseph Wheeler, who was himself under the command of former Union General, William Rufus Sha- Schaefer, which I'm sure was not that's awkward at all. awkward. <laughs> right. Like, hey, you remember that time we uh, destroyed the entire country? Just like a picture of like his dead son. It's like, <laughs> scoreboard, scoreboard. You like that shit? <laughs> Every time you leave your house, I'm going to burn it down. Oh, oh, this is my this is my William T. Sherman shrine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know he did a genocide during the Indian Wars. Let me have my jokes. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's one of the things like when your job is killing people for a living, sometimes you end up doing some awful things. Weird how that works out. Now, for the Rough Riders, having people like Wood and Teddy in charge was a pretty sweet deal. Wood was well known and Teddy was incredibly powerful and rich. So they were able to use their connections to make sure they're outfitted with the best guns in the country at the time and even had a machine gun, which was rare as fuck for those days. Now, unfortunately, those guns and machine guns both kind of sucked. Yeah. I was thinking like you'd want to be in a VIP unit, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they they got preferential treatment through and through. Um, Now, they were issued with the Springfield 8. 1892, which is better known as the Craig Jorgensen rifle. Um, known as that? Yeah, most people just know it as the Craig or the Craig Jorgensen. There was even a song about it, like in the Phil- in the Philippines theater of the war. Um, uh, the the saying was "Civilize him with the Craig." Yeah, Gee, great. Yep, yep. Country, I man. sang the whole song back in the three part series. Go, go listen, listen to it. I, it's I'm, terrible. Um, now. The Krag was real, real bad. Uh, the Spanish gun, the Mauser 1893, was better in every way possible, uh, which is why the Krag has the shortest rifle uh, service life of any American weapon tied with, I think, the M14. I was going to um, say the M14. Yeah. yeah. Also, we still use it, though, for specialized sniper applications? Or am I yeah, like there's a, there's a version of the M14 that's used for like squad marksmanship roles and stuff like oh, okay. that. Um, yeah. Um, also, the machine gun that was given out was the Colt 1895, better known as the Potato Digger. Um, now, this was we like... We really a, do not name them like we used to. No. Uh, this was a gift. This was not issued by the government. The Potato dig- Digger was never issued by the government. They're the first machine guns, not Gatling guns, those are different, to be deployed in combat by the U.S. military. But they were considered so shitty, they were actually never officially adopted by the U.S. military. Instead, Enjoy, people, <laughs> instead people just bought them and brought them to war. Well, that's so bad. Um. Yeah. It, like, they, there's a, quite a few of them. Like, Marines had a few of them, and it was pretty much like their commander and like the some like boat admiral bought a whole bunch of them. Um, hey, I got now, you guys a present. Now, unfortunately, this gun is probably best known for being the weapon of choice during the Ludlow massacre, where uh, oh, Pinkerton's right. massacred a whole yeah. bunch of strikers. Yeah, because right. again, you could just buy one. <laughs> The Rough Riders also picked their own uniforms, which actually used to be a pretty common practice amongst uh, U.S. volunteer units, especially during the Civil War. Um, have you ever seen some of these weird-ass uniforms oh, yeah. in somewhere like the oh, Zouaves? Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's incredible. They were in like Aladdin pants and like fezzes into combat. <laughs> Looking at wearing like bright red and like orange and shit. They won't um, see. They won't, they'll never see us coming, boys. Yeah. Uh, it looks like a clown college marching in unison. Um, 
Now, they chose, uh, the, the Rough Riders, that is, they chose a slouch hat, a blue flannel shirt, brown trousers, leggings, and boots with handkerchiefs loosely knotted around their necks, <laughs> meaning that, yes, they looked like the community theater imagination of a cowboy, and that's exactly yeah. what they were going for. Of course it was. They wanted to look like cowboys, even though oh, like what? not that many of them were actually cowboys. It's great. No, they're all just, I don't even know what the word is. And they were like they were actually soldiers, but they were cosplaying as cowboys. It's very weird. Now, after this, they went off to training, which due to various levels of experience, most of it nothing, they went through very basic cavalry training. Unlike most cavalry units in the military, they decided to completely skip the saber training, like you know, swords, uh, which were very common for cavalry. Like people, ca- cavalry carried s- sabers into World War One. Which is probably a good call because it's almost the 1900s for fuck's sake. But also, nobody knew how to use one. <laughs> like, but also, hey man, you never know when you're gonna when you're gonna need to do one. Look, it's yeah. easy to teach someone how to use a rifle. It's kind of hard to teach someone how to sword fight from the ground up. Like, fair enough. <laughs> like, like fair a gun enough. is pulling a trigger. A sword is like, all right, step one. You know. But again, they were training in the Southwest with everyone else, living in that camp life. So typhoid fever and malaria swept through and decimated their numbers. Wow, Cla- I'm shocked to hear that. Claiming around one-fourth of their unit. And my God, is, not, is this not going to be the last time I point out how yeah. many people have died from yellow fever and typhoid and shit? <laughs> now, the Rough Riders were eventually loaded up on trains, horses and all, and shipped down to Florida. Uh and that is where their horses were, like a lot of other soldiers at the time, supposed to be getting loaded onto ships uh, for transit to Cuba. But the government had botched the transportation system so incredibly badly. Oh, I'm shocked to hear that they botched it. That there were not enough ships for everybody. Uh, so, like, n- not only not enough ships for their horses, those would all get left behind, but also not enough for their men. Uh, though Teddy Roosevelt made sure to pull enough strings to make sure his horse made the trip. Of course. Of yeah. course, of course. Uh, yeah, he is. <laughs> Thank you. I get paid for this, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he, he is the he is the cavalry commander of a unit with one horse. <laughs> Congratulations, sir! You've done it. Um, now, if this sounds bad, and it is, remember that they were a cavalry unit, and nobody had trained as infantry, which I can attest is bad. Um, of only eight of the 12 companies would make the trip. And those eight were under strength due to disease. So like not that much of the rough riders actually made it into the war. So I've already touched a bit on yellow fever for people who don't know. It's a disease spread in tropical areas through mosquito bites that causes, you know, general terribleness, jaundice of the skin, hence the name, your skin turns yellow, as well as, you know, in the worst case scenario, internal bleeding, which will lead to death. Um, Because since it's the late 1800s, if you have internal bleeding and liver failure, there's no treatment for you. No, you go die. You just, you you die real, real bad. You're going to die. Even today, in 2021, there's no cure for this disease other than one bite mitigation from mosquitoes. And, you know, if if you do catch yellow fever, um, you have to like one of the main part when most people that get yellow fever vomit and like puke and sweat and shit. Uh, so like you just have to stay hydrated until it passes. So like now if you catch yellow fever and you, you have really bad luck, uh, you just get hooked up to IVs until you get over it. Um, but for 15 percent of people who do catch it, it turns toxic, um, turning you yellow and uh, you know, destroying your liver and kidneys, and eventually killing you. Um, you know, for people who get to that point, like the the first point, which is your skin turning yellow, uh, because you you can get like suffer a little bit of internal damage and still survive even back then. Though I'm sure you have some like horrible shit going on later in life because you yeah. can't exactly go to the hospital and get treated for that. Speak, you know, yeah. Um, but for people who have the first turning of the jaundice skin, uh, your fatality rate jumps to fifty percent. Oh, cool. Um, now that is, those are modern numbers. Those are numbers I found Fuck. like today. Fuck. Fuck. So like 1898, those numbers are much higher. No, you're, you're just going to die. Yeah. You like, uh, now that says 15%, but this is like with mosquito bite mitigation, which rem- I should remind you, they don't know mosquitoes cause it yet. Right. Um, so like, you know, like, like we kind of joked about before, you just got to get the ghost out of your blood. <laughs> I don't right. fucking know. Um, 
Like there's no treatment except like throw him off to the side. Maybe he'll come out of it. Maybe he won't drink water, which you'll then just vomit up. Right. Good luck to you. Right. Now, people of the day were well aware of the dangers of yellow fever. The concept of yellow fever was not new to them, um, but they hadn't figured out what caused it yet. They just knew that in certain seasons, it would pop up real, real bad. And those seasons should be avoided. Those seasons, of course, happen when mosquitoes reproduce. Hmm. That is uh, why most military leaders and health professionals of the day, even then, said the U.S. should not invade Cuba during the summer because that's when it rains a whole lot. And then mysteriously, everybody gets yellow fever. Obviously, anybody who's grown up in a place a lot of mosquitoes knows that's when fucking mosquitoes breed and they are everywhere after that. Um, and that is what, like if, the, if we invaded during the summer, during the summer rainy season, that is when yellow fever and malaria would be at its worst. So we should absolutely not do that. So, of course, assume, that's what the U.S. Oh, did. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starting the war off with a ground invasion in the beginning of June. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> not to mention, like, yellow fever and malaria and bugs the size of helicopters aside, like, all these lily ass white dudes from the U.S. cannot deal with this heat and humidity. I'm going to say probably 50 fucking times and then people died of heat stroke. But like it was literally happening from the time people stepped foot on the island until they left. Like in the middle of battle, people were like reloading their guns and then just keel over. It was incredible. <laughs> like you just don't see shit like that. Um, so... A few days before the start of the ground invasion, the U.S. and Spanish navies had been dueling it out around Guantanamo Bay, which had not turned evil yet. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Guantanamo Bay origin story, unfortunately. Yep. Um, I do explain that we still send the checks. Yes. Yeah. They just sit in a desk somewhere uncashed. Um. Now, the U.S. planned to land near a place called Fisherman's Village, a very creative, creatively named place. Uh, as the U.S. blockade had been pretty successful at this point in bottling up the Spanish fleet about 40 miles away in Santiago Harbor, the Spanish defending the bay could really only rely on two gunboats, the Alvarado and the Sandoval, to support their 5,000 soldiers they had defending the landing. The Spanish also had a blockhouse, which is... You know, a hard fortification, um, mm-hmm. not exactly poured concrete or anything, but like it, it'll stop small arms fire that had gun ports. That for were yeah, for now. This is like very much um, one of those wars that when you look at like uh, uh, technology is rapidly outpacing mm-hmm. tactics mm-hmm. And, and, and fortification building um, like, you know, um, this happened during the Russo-Japanese War when the, when the Russians were like, haha, we are safe within our within these uh these like wooden bunkers. <laughs> the Japanese just dropped like two hundred medium two hundred millimeter mortars on them or whatever. Um so this blockhouse is kind of the center of their defense over the fisherman village and it overlooked the entire thing. So like if you're invading the village, you're gonna get fucked up by the blockhouse. Uh, and there's other chains of blockhouses defending the railroad, which went all the way to Guantanamo City, which is about 15 miles away. But this control was not uncontested. Remember, there's a civil war going on. There's been an insurgency going on for years. And Cuban rebels are all over the place. Uh, they pretty much control everywhere that Spanish aren't, to include roads. So... This, the Spaniards were like, there's no safe retreating route at any point. Uh, the Spanish know if they leave any of their fortifications, they'll get fucked up by rebels. Sure. Um, so on June 6th, the Spanish learned a defensive system was maybe not cut out for fighting an enemy that was not relegated to small arms like the Cubans had been. Uh, because their blockhouse overlooking the village was reduced to a pile of shit by a single shell from the guns of the USS Marblehead. Uh, mm. Also, we used to be better at naming ships, too. Marblehead um, is a gross place to go. That don't go there. Is that a, is that named after a place? Yeah, Marblehead, Massachusetts. I assume. I mean, that that would make sense. Where else would they've gotten that fucking name? Right. Um, now, as soon as the Spanish gunboat saw that the U.S. had deployed three ships with six pounder cannons at them, they decided it was a good time to haul ass, leaving the bay pretty much uncontested, uh, escaping down a nearby channel. While this is going on, rebel action and naval gunfire severed severed telegraph lines and plunged Guantanamo Bay into darkness with no communications to the outside world. Oh, boy. This is pretty much something like the rebels were really fucking good at. Um, Because, like, you know, telegraphs and heliographs are a thing now. Mm -hmm. So the the rebels, like, we should just shoot those. Uh, Then the Spanish can't talk to one another. But, like, at no point did the Spanish ever try to figure out, like, 
we should try to repair them. It was like, oh, telegraph's down. I guess we have to sit here and die now. Do you guys like semaphore? (laughs) It was then a few days later on June 10th that the ground forces made up of the 1st Battalion of the U.S. Marines were sent ashore, crammed into a converted transport ship, the USS Panther, where they landed unopposed, which is a real fuck up on the part of the Spanish here because this wasn't like a Higgins boat from World War II. This was not a purpose-built landing craft. This is... Just a canoe a with, I assume a canoe with a 50 cal strap to it. No, this Not is just a transport a ship. Oh, wow. Okay. The, like the, the, the Marines had to get off the ship by land, by standing in straight lines and waiting for their turn to get off one of the gangways that led down to the beach. That's embarrassing. <laughs> so like the Spanish, are like, Oh look, there's, there's some Marines. All right. They're getting off now. Oh, hey guys. This was made worse by the fact that the captain of the Panther refused to allow their ship's crew to help unload the thousands and thousands of rounds of ammo that are on board, leaving it to a single artillery company to do it all themselves. For wow. people unaware... Wow, I'd be, I would not be happy. A, a, a company's about 130 dudes. Like, it's okay. not that many people. Like, for Still thousands, of, thousands of rounds. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not to mention, like, get the fucking boat off the beach. Right. Like, at any point, the Spaniards remember that they're fighting a war. You're fucked. You're riding on a bomb. Uh... After begging and pleading to make sure the landings uh, to make the landings go quicker, the Marine commander, a guy named Colonel Huntington, had to send a message to the overall commander of the landing, Commander Bowman McCalla. Again, great name, great name to tell the captain to help, which he finally did after hours of bitching and moaning. <laughs> finally, on the beach, the Marines dug in, sitting outposts and expecting an attack that just didn't come. Uh, like they assumed that they would hit the beach in the Spanish and immediately start shooting at them, but they didn't. But they could hear Spanish, and there was um, some loyalist Cubans as well that were on the Spanish side. Mm. They could he- they could hear them talking and moving back and forth in the bushes. Um, and it, so the, here's one of the funnier parts that just shows how desperate the Spanish troops were in Cuba. It turns out the Spanish were planning on attacking, but were waiting for the Marines to unload their food. So, uh, so they could get the food? So they could steal it. Like... Dicks. The Spanish, like the Spanish military in Cuba, was so horribly unsupplied uh, that they were like, "Okay, we 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 understand these guys are invading, but if we let them invade all the way, we could steal their hardtack." <laughs> like, that's, God, that's so fucking depressing, <laughs> right? And these are these, these aren't like local levies; these are Cuban cons or Spanish conscripts from Spain that have been sent there. Like you would expect the Spaniards to train Cubans that badly or treat Cubans that badly. Cause right, like, of course they were there. Right. Yeah. These are actual Spaniards. Like, nah, fuck them too. <laughs> we don't need to feed them. And almost all of them are riddled with disease. Um, a theme. Yeah. Everyone. So everyone at this point is riddled with horrible disease. Uh, now, the Marines learned that the Loyalist fighters, that being Cubans loyal to Spain, were hiding out in the jungle and using the coup of the morning dove as a signal to one another. Mm. Which is inventive, but all that did is teach the Marines they to shoot every fucking bird they saw. <laughs> <laughs> like they they didn't really know the difference like between the birds because you know they've never been to Cuba before. The birds right. are different, so there's like look a bird, and everybody just opened fire on it. Oh, Jesus, which is honestly the most That's Marine thing that they could, would fucking do. Marine counterintelligence shoot every bird. <laughs> <laughs> By the 11th, the Marines were mostly unloaded in what had been named Camp Macala, though they had left their artillery on the transport ship for some reason. And by this point, there hadn't been any Spanish attempt to kick them off the beach. So they assumed the threat was low. Not even digging any trenches or fortifications or even bothering to shore up any camp defenses. It was just like people sitting on the beach. Just in open sands. Just enjoy vacay, man. Yeah, just, we gotta go on vacation, Joe. Doing an armed vacay. Um, they made an obvious target for snipers hiding up in the hills, however, who began shooting at them. So now, under sniper fire, the Marines began trying to dig in as Spanish soldiers advanced on them from the bushes. There you go, morons. The snipers firing rifles with smokeless powder, which was a kind of a new invention. Not that new, Um, but like it was still like tactics were adopted, like uh, trying to adapt to account for it. Uh, but they were also concealed using leaves and old-timey fashion of a ghillie suit were pretty nice. much impossible to find. And the guys on the beach were trying to shoot back. were just missing horribly. Sure. So instead, the jungle was completely obliterated with naval gunfire, uh, uh, which is one way to take care of a sniper. Yeah. 
while this Spanish attacked the camp, they ran. They quickly learned that a frontal assault against a machine gun is a very bad idea. As the Marines opened fire with two potato digger machine guns, the Marines had brought with them, um, which the Spanish had no idea about. Like they'd never seen the shit before. Right. <laughs> by the next day, with fighting still raging, the Marines were reinforced by a small group of Cuban rebels re- led by a guy named Colonel Enrique Thomas. Which I have to admit. That last name threw me for a loop. That had been under, uh, under uh, Bowman McCullough's command, like on his ship. Like they had been brought with them from the mainland. Uh, they were on board the Marblehead. And for some reason that I've never been able to get a full understanding of, their uniforms had been switched out. Mostly Cubans wore street clothes, like when they fought or captured Spanish uniforms. Sure. They had been traded out for those terrible white Navy uniforms, like the bright white Navy. They look like the Cracker Jack man. Yeah. They wore those into battle on the beach. I I assume they're wearing scouts and all sudden blindness. Yeah. Like (laughs) fucking incredible. But the Cubans who had been using guerrilla tactics for years now knew exactly how to handle the guys hiding out in the jungle who had not been obliterated by the Navy. They simply set it on fire. Okay. That's can't hide, the, can't hide in the jungle if I set it all on fire. Fair enough. Even through all of this, the Spanish never stopped attacking, pressing the Marines for three days of nonstop fighting. This was all made worse by the Marines who I'm going to hate myself for saying this. <sighs> were the actual tip of the spear. Oh, Joe. I'm sorry. Joe. Every, every Marine listening is frantically masturbating that I said the words. Ugh. The U.S. Army and its various volunteer units had yet to leave Florida, meaning the 1st Battalion of the Marines were fucked, unable to be relieved or reinforced, and had nothing coming to help them. <laughs> that is when Colonel Thomas pulled the Marines out uh, ass out of the fire, all while dressed like a complete and total dumbass. <laughs> he came up with the idea to attack the nearby Cusco well, held by four Spanish companies and some loyalists, pointing out that if they took the only fresh water source in the area, the Spanish would be forced to retreat and give up their attack on the beach. Not to mention the Marines like, we could also use some water. We're fucking dying here. <laughs> Thomas was joined by Captain George Elliott, who led two badly understrength companies to attack the well, which would require them to first march a, at a very fast pace through nearby jungle, which, of course, dropped several men immediately through heat exhaustion, including both company commanders. As the joint Cuban Marine Force approached a hill, they noticed the Spanish were marching towards the same exact hill, and both sides broke into a run, <laughs> trying to be the first ones to take the high ground. It's fine. It's fine. I saw it first. It's fine. This is when a couple Marines from C Company got a really good idea. They had brought the machine guns with them. Why don't we use the machine guns as we're running up the hill? Because oh. <laughs> remember, these are these these machine guns are supposed to be mounted to it. I mean, the potato diggers are pretty small. They're like 30-ish pounds, which aren't super right. heavy when you compare them to modern light machine guns. But there is oh, no... Mo- LMG way. Yeah, the, yeah, there's... 50, 60? Or not? Uh, like a, I think a 240 Bravo is 30-ish pounds. I might be off. Um, no, like you can, you're not supposed to use that standing up either. You right. can, I mean, depending on your body size, I can fire a 240 Bravo standing up because I'm pretty big. I'm not going to hit anything with it though. Um, but not to mention there is like a pistol grip on that. Mm-hmm. There's a butt stock. Like, right. You they can, have none of this, right? No, absolutely not. It's a square fucking box with a belt attached to it with ammo nice. coming off it. Uh, so there's, there's no, idea here that this is going to work. Not to mention it's cumbersome. The barrel's fucking stupid. Um, like it's not meant to be fired from anything other than a tripod. Mm. So looking at that, the Marines simply picked them up and ran off firing them with everyone else. Uh, now the fire rate itself was like catastrophic, right? Um, this ended up tipping the tide of the battle as a Spanish just couldn't match sprinting up a machine, uh, sprinting up a hill while being chased by a machine gun wielding psycho Marine oh, who accidentally, <laughs> and this is true, invented the first offensive use of a machine gun for mobile fire support completely on the fly. <laughs> so like this man, like, yo, fuck this. Let's get the fuck out of here. And that's, that's one thing I do have to give credits for credit for Marines for. I don't think a soldier would have thought of this. This is something Marines would have thought of. Like, so credit where credit's due, I suppose. Now, 
After getting hit by a storm of random gunfire, the Spanish pulled back to a better position in a blockhouse, and Captain Elliot, using a flag system, required, uh, requested a nearby gunboat, the USS Dolphin, to start raining shells down on them, which, of course, began falling directly on top of the Marines. Because, um, of course, it did, right? Yep. Yep. Far from the this is something incredible to me. Um, like, there's no radios. Those those aren't a thing yet. There's no way to, like, tell the boat, yo, you're killing us. Please fucking stop. Mm-hmm. Other than flags. Like, you know, a, a, a random... flags for please stop shooting me? There's, like, a, a specific... It's like Morse code, but with flags, I guess. Seven um, right. Yeah. Now, with no good way to tell them to stop, the visual line being cut by the bombardment smoke and dust, Marines were fucked until a guy named Sergeant John Quick decided he would have just have to figure this out himself. While on the line, getting shot at by the Spanish, he tied a bandana to the end of his rifle and began what's known as a wigwag, um, which is an old-timey name for the signal flag system. Um, and he had to run to the high ground while exposing himself to fire from the Spanish. And not to mention, like, remember, the boat is also blowing them up and quickly signaled the ship to adjust their fire where he did. Uh, and you know, it worked. He didn't get shot. Ship uh, changed their fire and took out the blockhouse and he was fine. Just fuck. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Now. After this, the blockhouse was blown to hell. Uh, the Spanish began to retreat from the hill, and the most serious casualties suffered by the Marines were from heat exhaustion, which disabled one officer and 22 men. Oh, Lord. While the, meanwhile, the Spanish were, had 60 killed and 150 wounded. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to believe that it was by the couple Marines going fucking ham on machine guns, but probably they probably mm-hmm. didn't hit anything. Still, um, though, you know. Yeah. Again, and while you the, would watch this buddy cop movie. <laughs> two machine guns, two Marines. Um, well, that, I'm machi- that, that potato digger was two days away from retirement. Talk about tip of the spear, Joe. <laughs> I'll never say it again. I promise. I promise. And while the mission was a success and the well was taken, it had been destroyed in the fighting. <laughs> Meaning that Three the Marines. Could- number one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if we destroy the well, they can't use it either, which I mean is. One way to do like if, if they were to be pushed back from the hill, the Spanish would have lost the well. Uh, though I'm willing to bet that was an accident after like it got hit with a fucking dolphin shell or it whatever. Sort of happened, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now at this point, the Marines were pretty much near heat stroke, and they pretty much and they just collapsed around the wreckage and they waited for two hours until water could be hand carried up from the USS Dolphin so they didn't die. So this finally broke the attack on Camp McCullough, and it became known as the 100 Hours of Fighting, uh, because naming battles back then apparently still sucked. Yeah. Um, Spanish- it um, it's a hill, <laughs> and, it has, and it's this it many meters tall. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Spanish, confused by the amount of firepower that had been brought against them on the hill in the fight over the well... <laughs> told the garrison commander of Guantanamo City that the invasion force is much larger than they had originally thought because they had been attacked by at least 10,000 soldiers. Instead, it was just like two very understrength companies of Marines, everybody dying of heat stroke, (laughs) and two psychos who figured out they could just, I don't know, video game a machine gun. Now, at this point... You guys ever played Doom? (laughs) (laughs) I figured this out in the arcades. Uh, now, at this point, most of the Spanish defense of the bay was centered around Fort Toro, where uh, they had begun to dig in and shore up their defenses, realizing that, oh, shit, the Americans actually mean it. They also had several large cannons, including a breech-loading, rapid-firing croup gun and a Maxim machine gun. Um, now, the Spanish were assuming that the Americans were going to pull up, dislodge a transport ship, like spit out Marines into the beach, just like they had done before. And they were waiting for them. They assumed that just like they had done at the bay, that they were going to, you know, show up and this time they'd be ready for them. Yeah, but this is America. And we can't follow you or we can't even follow our own tactics. That's right. And it's what is probably the most Indiana Jones ass possible battle. The U.S. simply rolled into the area with their Navy, bombarded the fort for 15 minutes and destroyed everything. (laughs) (laughs) Naval superiority, baby. Yeah, like if you have fire support, why the fuck am I gonna like even 
commanders back then who cared even less about the lives of their soldiers and Marines than they do now are just like, no, let's just blow it up. Why would I go all the way over here when I have guns on this boat? Yeah. The Spanish were able, weren't able able to land a single shot on the ships. To make it even funnier, the Marblehead, the USS Texas, the USS Yankee, uh, uh, all the ships taking part in the broadside had floated directly into a minefield with dozens of sea mines all around them. Oh, the USS Texas even noted they were bumping into quite a few of them and not a single one exploded. Because they're various mechanical faults uh, from like electrical feeds and whatever, but also because the Spanish had just chucked them out there and forgot about them. And then barnacles had grown over the detonators, making them just like floating death traps that would blow up whenever they wanted it, but not when you wanted them to. Now, at this point, finally, at the end of June, the U.S. Army showed up to help the Marines. As, Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. You, you missed the show, guys. Um. What, what what fucking um it's a movie or a tv show like did i miss the battle like you missed the whole war uh w's national guard deployment i don't know <laughs> now uh the marine or the army showed up to help under the command of general Sh- uh schaefer and landed at the towns of daiquiri and saboni uh and that's when teddy and his gang of malaria typhus and yellow fever infected <laughs> rough riders finally hit the beach <laughs> Uh, there's oh, also, yeah, man. <laughs> there's also like attempts by the military at this point to control the infections because like they realize they're getting like melted by disease. Right. This ends with them like burning down villages. Uh, okay. Like I, I, I'm right. pretty sure they burnt right. down. Da- they burned down Daiquiri, which is fucked up. Oh, That's not fuckers. how you control disease spread. Yeah. Every every vacationing white guy is so mad at you for ruining Daiquiri. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like they burnt some fields, which honestly is a way to get rid of mosquitoes right, if they knew it was mosquitoes. Pool and water, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. With these forces, the U.S. could finally pressure Santiago itself, where they came across a rearguard action by a Spanish army led by General Antero Rubin. Now, Cuban scouts, that being Cuban rebels, had gone ahead of the Americans as per usual into the jungles outside of Santiago, and they saw the Spanish forces were packing up to leave, withdrawing back towards their main base in the city of Santiago itself. Right. Now, this is obviously the rebels like, oh, cool, they're, they're leaving. We don't got to fight them. Enter General Wheeler. Now, Joseph Wheeler assumed the Cubans were wrong, because of course he did. This guy's a confederate. He's not going to listen to anything the Cubans said. He doesn't even think they're people. Uh, He thought it made much more sense if he was the Spanish, he would simply dig in with their field guns because that's what, you know, any normal functioning military does resist their attack. Right. But the Spanish were having a harder time muster any kind of fighting spirit around their men stuck in the jungle, getting raided by Cuban insurgents, blown up by American ships and dying from disease. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. For every like one. I'm going to do some inexact math here, but I think from like every one person lost in combat for the Spanish side, they lost like 50 from disease. It might even be more than that. Um, That's crazy. So like, it's really hard to like, you know, rally some spree decor, you know, like my right. man, my pants are caked and shit. I, my skin is as, as yellow as dead. the sun. <laughs> yeah. Like, my mouth tastes like blood. I just want to lay down and die. I don't give a fuck about the Americans. Not to mention, like, there's there's war all over the island, not just the American front. There's nowhere safe for the Spaniards to go. The insurgents are hitting them everywhere. So it's not like, oh, if we get away from the front lines, we'll be safe. Like, no, as I'm leaving the front lines, some guy that I don't see from the jungle is going to shoot my fucking kneecaps out. Like, right. they don't, it's just not good. So when Wheeler turned to the Cuban commander, Colonel Gonzalez Clavel, and said they should attack immediately, Clavel pointed out that it made much more sense to simply let the Spanish withdraw than fight a pointless battle over nothing, and the colonel refused. So Wheeler just ordered the attack without him. And the Cubans, to their credit, stayed the fuck out of it, like, nah, this is what's out of you, buddy. (laughs) Good luck! (laughs) We'll be back here cheering. Uh... As the Rough Riders and the 10th Cavalry Buffalo Soldiers, also without horses, went into battle, they noticed something they didn't think of previously. Oh, boy. This goddamn jungle is thick, and you can't see a fucking thing. That's funny how that works. Not only could they not see where the enemy was, but remember, all command and control at this point of warfare is visually based. Right. Like, once people start shooting... You can't hear much. I mean, you can hear a little, but like yelling orders doesn't really work. A lot of it's hand and arm signals. 
Um, at, at this point of war, it's mostly just like stay with everyone else who looks like you. Right. Um, like if we all stay as a blob, we'll probably be okay. If all of us are invisible, then none of us are invisible. Then all of us are invisible. <laughs> so like the commanders lost the ability to pass orders and then soldiers started getting like lost. Um, make things even more confusing. A few civilians with them, including journalists. Oh, like one named Edward Marshall decided he would just pick up a gun and join the war. Um, so all like right. there's people I, I in guess uniforms. I appreciate the enthusiasm. Right, I guess. There's like three different uniforms and Marines are floating around, some civilians with guns. Um, not to mention... Dudes, just guys being dudes, Jeff. Just, just dudes all vibing in the dr- jungle, not a cell phone in sight, just enjoying the moment, dying of typhus. <laughs> um, to make matters even worse, like remember, they have to march there. Uh, they have to march through the jungle. And that march was much harder uh, than anything the cavalry guys were prepared for. Because remember, they were riding horses for training. Uh, they were not prepared for this foot march through the jungle shit. Sure. Teddy said, quote, Many of the men, foot sore and weary from the march of the preceding day, found the pace up this hill too hard and either dropped their bundles or fell out of line, with the result that we went into action with less than 500 men. Oh, boy. And personally, I just loved the army, how, how the army worked back then. That if a guy decided he just wanted to quit marching, there was like, fine, fuck it. I don't care. Quit that. Stay, <laughs> Stay over there. Then when the Americans attempted to deploy their fancy potato diggers, they couldn't. You see, the guys, nor, well, like th- th- these were normally uh, dissemble, uh, disassembled and packed on a mule for easy transport sure. because like nobody wants to hump 40 odd pounds of gear through right. the jungle, right? They were on all yeah, sure. Um, well, then the, when the Spanish started shooting at the advancing Americans, the mules ran the fuck away, which dumped their packs into the mud and made the guns useless. And also, like, when the other pack animals had all the ammo on it, and that didn't fall off. Uh, so, like, oh, guess we don't have those. And because visual, like, visual uh, limitations were so bad, fighting was very close quarters, with Americans running into Spanish soldiers only a few feet away, leading to confusing firefights that nobody could tell what the fuck was going on. Fucking terrifying. Uh, like, like seeing a Spanish head pop out of the, the, the bush right next to you, like Jurassic Park, like clever girl. <laughs> no, thanks. This is uh, the reason why when someone saw Captain Alan Cap- Caprone, Capron, uh, sorry, sorry, guy, get shot and die. So I guess I'm not that sorry. You can't be offended. You're dead. Um, oh, Jesus, Joe. Someone actually thought that it was Colonel Leonard Wood. Like, oh shit, the colonel's dead. So they ran back and told Teddy that the colonel was dead and he was in charge. Which he to Teddy's well, gave him a voter the size of Texas. Yeah, of course he was like, "Fuck yeah!" Now my time's to shine. But like, he did his job and immediately took command. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. But he, Colonel, colonel Wood was still alive. So you have like Colonel and Anti Colonel passing <laughs> fucking the, the Avignon Colonel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, passing orders, uh, and so, some soldiers being told that Colonel Wood is dead. But like, but that's not true. I just saw him. Like, no, no, Colonel uh, Roosevelt said he's dead. So you have to listen to him now. So everything is just confused. Uh, and then during one advance, Joseph Wheeler, uh, the general who remember, former Confederate, apparently high on combat and not entirely oh. sure where he was anymore. Oh boy. Screamed out, let's go boys. We got those damn Yankees on the run again to the, I'm sure the very confused glances of the black soldiers nearby. <laughs> uh, no dude. Where, where do you think you are, bud? <laughs> like two Buffalo soldiers, like shoot the white guy. I always do. I couldn't trust him. <laughs> However, uh, they actually no. didn't. Kill, kill Whitey. Is, <laughs> I know you got that, that out, mate, but kill, kill Whitey. <laughs> However, they didn't really have them on the run. Despite their confused attempts, what the U.S. was doing was actually a glorified frontal assault against a fortified position. Uh, now, yeah, that's a good tactic right there. This is what's known in the business as a bad idea. Um, because this, while the Spanish were pulling back, they were attacked before they could fully retreat. So they're like, oh, fine, we just have to get back in our positions now. Um, so they just sat back in their dugouts and just started fucking them up. Uh, and the thing is, is like, they still withdrew. That was their whole plan. It was a fighting withdrawal. So they held their positions, fucking up the Americans, uh, until the American advance was kind of stunted a bit. And then they pulled back to Santiago in good order, like they originally planned. Sure. 
Now, this was, in military terms at least, well done, a victory boys. for the Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Though, if you read it anywhere in the Amer- in the American side of the history, like, no, nah, they took the field. Like, okay, Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I'll like, indulge you. <laughs> yeah. They, they, I mean, more than that, they got away from U.S.'s naval uh, fire. So, like, they couldn't get shelled from the various battleships anymore, which had been just wrecking their shit for a while. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. claimed victory, saying they chased the Spanish from the field. When remember, they were already leaving. This is the, you can't fire me, I quit of battles. <laughs> Most later historians pointed out that the Spanish had changed their mind and decided to sit in their positions and not withdraw. It would have been a fucking disaster for the U.S., um, and because of the overgrowth, most people think that like the Spanish didn't actually realize how bad they had the Americans. Like uh, at this point, the Spanish were well, they're going to call a naval gunfight. They're going to do something. Like we have to, we're still going to withdraw. But yeah. the Americans are just human waving at them. If they just sat and fought, like this, I mean, the, the U.S. Had almost certainly still won the war. But like you, maybe you at least shoot Teddy Roosevelt or something. Slow down a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um. Now, an officer with the Rough Riders actually agreed as much, saying, quote, it's a good thing we're not at war with England, Germany, or France. We would not last a week. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an own on yourself, but also like a, mm. a grievous own on the Spanish. Murder-suicide own, yeah. Yeah. Now, June ended with a few minor Spanish victories, like stopping the Americans from landing supplies. Uh, like This is something that the, the U.S. is trying to do throughout the war was... The, where the insurgency was going on and the American war effort was not, they would like circle ships around to drop off ammo guns, occasionally a couple advisors and stuff mm-hmm. to, to better their push wherever they were fighting. One of those is the battle of Tayacoba, um, where like a couple American gunboats were fought off. Um, but none of this really mattered. Like they weren't actually badly. All they're doing is stopping the insurgents from getting supplies though. The insurgents were also just like milking supplies from the Spanish constantly. Uh, Cause every Spanish soldier they kill, oh, there's a rifle, there's some ammo, there's right. you know, whatever. Now it's not a crime yet. I mean, technically looting in war isn't a crime. Now, if you loot oh, from civilians, yeah. it's a crime. Um, but if you like, if you happen to be fighting war uh, against someone using the same kind of ammunition from you, as you taking their ammo, that's not illegal. That's just good taste. Uh, oh, okay. good enough. Sufficiency. Uh, like I, I think um, that happened uh, during the Falklands War because both the British and the Argentinians were using the same rifle, uh, but the Argentinians were using one that had uh, an automatic setting, and the British didn't. So it was really common for uh, British soldiers to like throw off their British rifles and pick up the Argentinian mm. ones because they had automatic, which is a very soldier thing to do. Also, as someone for this, like a soldier in the in the modern day, I'm like, how the fuck do you get away with that? Mm. Like, okay, well, why doesn't the serial number on your rifle not match? Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I threw it away and picked up an enemy one, which is like a very, very much a modern soldier problem. It's like back then, nobody gave a fuck, apparently. Um. But July would bring the bloodiest battles of the war in Cuba from which Spain would never be able to recover. And the ones that almost everyone has heard about uh, in regards to this war. That's right. The battle of San Juan Hill. Um, And that is where we will pick up next week. All righty. So Liam, how are you feeling so far about, about, about this conflict? I thought we were recording a duology and now I feel like a real asshole, Joe. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I, I just love the idea of like, all right, we'll just go home. Like this being a theme, like just dudes being like, nah, man, like that ain't me. Like I'm going home. <laughs> I, I'm, honestly, out there. <laughs> I'm honestly like kind of shocked. Um, like I knew there was like a part of like this, this just absolute rot from the Spanish empire, which is what led to, you know, this looking like low hanging fruit for the United States. Um, but like it is very much two incredibly incompetent military just smashing oh, into yeah. one another and yeah. seeing which one blinks first. Um, because it, it is nuts to watch like how decrepit the Spanish Empire was and like how long these empires lasted sort of on their last gasps. Yeah. Like, thank it, God that's not applicable. No, not not at all. That couldn't possibly happen anymore. Um it, it's it's two incredibly incompetent militaries, but that's like where you see like the weird independent spirit. I hate to use that term 
of like military uh, of American military ventures because it's really not until World War II where we really figure out the war thing, and even then, it's mostly manufacturing right. that we're really good at. But it's like the independent spirit of like dumb American adventurism is what always kind of like pulls us through all of these old timey wars. It's not like having brilliant generals. We do eventually make a couple of those like okay ones, but it's almost always just like soldiers having way too much fun at at war and like, nah, fuck it. We'll just freewheel some machine guns and run through the jungle. Who gives a shit? Um, It's very, very weird. It's almost like, um, like if you look back at um, especially this early part of American Imperial uh, American empire building is a lot like reading about the, the British adventure soldiers from like the 18, uh, 1800s, early 1900s. Right. Uh, there's a, a lot of parallels though for all of the weird ways that they win battles, but also all the grotesque shit that comes with it. Because I'm not like it, forgiving any of that, obviously. Right. Uh, anyway, that is part two. Uh, Liam, this is the plug zone. Plug your plug. Plug zone. Yeah, listen to my other podcast. Uh well, there's a problem. It's a leftist engineering disasters podcast with slides and jokes. Uh, uh, jokes are mandatory. Pick up your joke jokes. at the joke distribution point. Uh, jokes on communism aren't funny unless everybody gets one. Um, <laughs> uh, right. Buy my books. I'm, buy his books. Uh, I have to eat because I'm already cheating God. I really love that we're trying to record while you're fasting. It's going to make some incredibly angry outbursts. You you have no idea, man. (laughs) Anyway, until next time, um, we already said don't invade Cuba. Uh, Until next time, dual wield machine guns. Yeah, like do. You guys have seen the BFG. Yeah, exactly. Do that. Later.